This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. One of the things that the COVID season has suspended is going out to eat. One of the things that my wife and I enjoy doing on our date night could be going out to eat. Now, that could be anywhere from getting French fries and Frosties at Wendy's to fine dining sometimes with a gift card. But there was a family here at Calvary that was so generous and invited us to dine with them on our date night. It really became a couple's date night down in Denver. And we went to one of their favorite restaurants. And unknown to us, maybe, maybe fully known to us, they were actually regulars and really were family members almost of uh, the owners and the wait staff down at this restaurant. And so though we were one table amongst many, we were really set apart, you might say, in the service as uh, the hospitality was just amazing. The chef was bringing out certain dishes that he had just made up because his friends had arrived with their friends. And we didn't get this table because we paid extra money for it. We didn't get this table because we deserved it. It was just because of the company that we were with. And I was thinking, you know, it is fun sometimes to be set apart, to be loved on, to be uh, noticed in such a way amongst a crowd. In fact, I started thinking about and how the ways that we like to distinguish ourselves, kind of a cut above, so that we would be recognized. A lot of like in high school, for example, if you're on a sports team and you're trying to go for a a college scholarship, you might be looking for a standout play or, or more like an outstanding play that you're noticed in such a way that sets you apart from the team that maybe a recruiter would notice you amongst the whole team as someone they would want to recruit, set apart for their own team. You want to distinguish your play. Or perhaps you're academically minded and because of your high cumulative GPA, when you graduate, you are actually set apart from your peers in the program with distinguished honors. And those distinguished honors and that high GPA and great scores on your college exams allow you to maybe access other schools, schools that are set apart, a cut above to help project you into your career path or maybe social circles that you wanna be involved with. And so you get, you get these scholarships from schools like Harvard or Yale or maybe Cambridge, but because you wanna be set apart, you have no time for junior colleges like that because the University of Colorado Go Buffs, has offered you a scholarship as well. Well, maybe not a scholarship, more of like a a lunch meal pass, but still it's the University of Colorado. And because you want the best, you go to the University of Colorado Boulder. And then as you're studying, you look at the jobs that you have and you get to do a career path and you're trying to set yourself apart by your job title or the type of office, perhaps an office with a closed door on a corner And then you try to set yourself apart from maybe your colleagues by what you drive or what you wear or where you dine. And then you try to set yourself apart in the community based on, you know, where you live. And then it all starts again when you decide which schools your kids go to. Now, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there is some desire that we would be different, set apart, distinguished from one another. Here's the peculiar thing, though. When it comes to our Christian faith, For some reason, many of us don't want other people to know. We don't want to be noticed. We don't want to be set apart. In fact, we try to blend in. We try to show everyone we're just like them. That we can be cool just like them. 
We listen to the same music. We say the same jokes. We watch the same movies. We go to the same places. We're just like them. We're trying to blend in to the culture and not be noticed. And even this desire to be set apart in so many areas, when it comes to our Christian faith, some reason we don't want to be. But here's the peculiar thing. Many of us have even tried to convince ourselves that that's what God has called us to, evangelism. That if we can show people that we're just like them, maybe they would be interested in the faith that we have and become just like them? I don't know. See, actually God has called the Christian to something else. God has called the Christian, has called you Christian to live a distinguished life, a set apart life, a noticeably different life. And that doesn't mean above or beyond, but among and yet not the same. The word that God uses for this is holiness. God calls his children to be holy because they belong to the family of God and God is holy. He's distinguished. He's set apart. He's different. Now, when you hear that word holiness as a mark of a disciple, of someone who wants to walk in the way, follow Jesus, that they're marked by their holiness, oftentimes we think, oh, that's so boring. Like holiness is primitive. Talk about like Puritan values or things of yesteryear. If that's your idea of holiness, someone has misinformed you. And I would love to show you just a little glimpse of what it means to live a holy life, just like our father. And so if you got your Bibles, we're gonna open up and start in Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six is an interesting scene. You kind of have to imagine this, you know, the Bible's old, but imagine a a city that is filled with people that have really compromised with culture and allowed the the importance of culture, the idols of culture, all the cultural ways to kind of infiltrate the church. And they've lost sight of God. And then imagine that there's a king who was very successful and brought very, a lot of prosperity, a lot of wealth and security to the land. But this, this king has become very, very proud in all of the wealth and security and prosperity they brought to their land. And they think they're pretty something. They're actually pretty narcissistic. And then imagine this time where the king's leadership is uncertain and it looks like there's gonna be a time of a regime change, which causes some civil unrest or unease. Can you imagine a day like that? Where the church seems to be culturally blended with poor leadership, uncertain of the future. I know the Bible's really old, so just try to put your imagination to it. And this is where the prophet Isaiah speaks to the people of Israel. There are several prophets that speak during this kingship. The king I'm speaking of is Uzziah. Uzziah was kind of a mixed king. He was actually a good king. He desired to follow the Lord, but it's his later years that gave him over to this pride. He became arrogant and tried to do what only the priests were supposed to do. And as a consequence of his pride, trying to be set apart above people, God gave him leprosy. And instead of being above, he was cast out. He spent the the latter years of his life as a leper alone, set outside the community until he died. And on his death is where we pick up Isaiah chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter six. It starts this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, this is a really important thing. When our earthly kings or leaders leave, uncertain times can come. And I find it so encouraging that at the moment that the king's throne on earth is empty, Isaiah is reminded 
that the true sovereign king above all reigns and has not abdicated his throne, that God is still the God of Israel, that God is still in charge. And he brings Isaiah up to show what the sovereign God is doing. When it seems like everything is falling apart down below, Isaiah is going to get a glimpse of what God himself is up to. And in this in this throne room, you see that his train, his robe fills the temple. Imagine a train of a bride. It's like the extension of, of who she is, her glory, her presence, and his whole train fills this place. It's so magnificent. And then Isaiah hears this, verse two. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. This is, this is bizarre. I mean, some like majestic creatures. With two covered their face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So what is holiness? Here, the seraphim is calling out that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. The father is holy. The son is holy. The spirit is holy. What is holiness? It is complete otherness. Yes, it's his moral perfection, but it's also his ontological otherness, completely set apart than from his creation, unattainable. And this is this holiness that is reverberated in the throne room. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This God is a holy, perfect, altogether other, set apart God. He's not made by human hands. He's not a figment of our imagination. He is sovereign over all of his creation. He is holy. And these seraphims call out, what is the holiness? This is God and his glory, a reflection has filled the earth. What is glory? Glory is the displayed greatness of someone. We say, look at the glory of the Olympic athletes. It's the display of their greatness. Look at the glory of that symphony. It's the display of their greatness. So God's display of his greatness, his glory of, of the fact that he's holy. He's filled the earth with it. And how has he filled the earth? Well, think about this. This is his holiness that has filled the earth with adventure, excitement mountains and seas and creatures with human beings in relationship and intimacy and love. If you love those things, then you love holiness. If you've ever been infatuated with the sciences of biology, chemistry, physics, astronomy, if your mind loves to go to these things and be challenged of how the world is put together, that is his glory of his holiness that has filled the earth. If you like those things, then you're going to love holiness because that's a reflection of his greatness that has filled the earth. That's what holiness is. And he's calling us into his family to be holy as he is holy. Now here's a question. Who needs holiness? If God's holy, does only God need to be holy? Who needs this holiness? Well, look what happens to Isaiah. An awareness comes over Isaiah that he is in the presence of God, that God is holy and he is not. Look at his words. He says, and the foundations of the threshold shook. The voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Isaiah says, I am undone. He used this analogy of unclean lips and dwelling amongst the people of unclean lips. That's to speak of their unrighteousness, their sin, their unholiness. In the presence of God, he is undone. Now it's not as though like there's this awareness of he shouldn't belong at this party. And then someone found out he's there and oh man, I know I don't belong here. We've just been found out, let's go. No, this awareness is, is like someone who's scuba diving, becoming aware that they're bleeding and they're swimming with great white sharks. Like we're gonna die. I'm gonna die. I should not be here. That's what Isaiah is experiencing. I don't belong here. One of the analogies I heard this week that was helpful for me to speak about God's holiness and who needs it is this analogy of the sun. The sun in our solar system is unique. It's one of a kind. And everything actually orbits around the sun. And everything on earth actually gets its life from the sun. This is one NASA writer who says, nothing is more important to us on earth than the sun. Without the sun's heat and light, the earth would be a lifeless ball of ice coated rock. The sun warms our seas, stirs our atmosphere, generates our weather patterns, and gives energy to the growing plants that provide the food and oxygen for life on earth. And yet, it's unapproachable. If you get closer, it'll consume you because of its power. If you get further away, you'll die because you need it to sustain you. In its uniqueness, this is a glimpse of the holiness of all of a sudden you're like on the sun, and because you know you're a human being, you know that you cannot survive on the sun, only surviving on the earth. The same thing with God's presence that you recognize because of your sin that you cannot be in his presence. You can't even enter a small fraction of his presence. The earth can't really even get closer to the sun. Otherwise the earth is uninhabitable. The earth is one million four hundred and forty nine million five hundred and ninety seven thousand eight hundred and seventy kilometers away from the sun. And you're thinking, wow, that's really far. What is that in English? Well, it's about ninety three million miles and we can't get any closer. That's a picture of God's holiness of our proximity to the sun. And here Isaiah is in the midst of the throne room of the holy, holy, holy God. And he recognizes, I do not belong here because of my sin, my unholiness. And I dwell amongst the people who are also unholy and undeserving. He should die right there on the spot. But then God does something with Isaiah. Notice back in the text, then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. This coal is purifying, powerful, hot coal from the altar of the Lord comes to Isaiah. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now Isaiah is able to continue to stand in the presence of God, not because of works that he has done, not because he has achieved a right place before God, but because God has made a gracious provision from his throne to come to Isaiah and the very source of his sin, his lips, and to forgive his guilt, his sin, and make atonement, recompense, to bring back into right relationship for Isaiah's sin. The only way that Isaiah can stand in the presence of a holy God is by receiving a gracious provision sent from God 
to Isaiah. This is an early glimpse of what God will do for all of humanity, that he will send his son, just the next chapter in Isaiah 7 and the following chapters, Isaiah 9, and throughout the whole prophecy of Isaiah is spoken of this Messiah, this one that would come, born of a virgin, that would be God himself among us, called Emmanuel. And he would touch the very place of our sin. And he would make atonement for it on the cross so that all who would believe in Jesus Christ would be forgiven and made right. See, here's the thing with with who needs holiness? Everyone who wants to stand in the presence of God. If being in the presence of God, which is the presence of life now and for eternity, is of interest of you, then you must be made holy. And the only way you can be made holy is by the atoning, gracious provision that God has sent from his throne, his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are not holy, you cannot live in his presence. But it is a free gift to whomever would believe and receive Jesus Christ to wash away our sins. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have been made right, pure, and holy. But why do we pursue holiness then? If that's what holiness is, is God himself and everyone who wants to be in the presence of God needs holiness. Why would we pursue holiness? Why Why would one of the marks of a disciple be a life that pursues this holiness? It's because we, we have two parts to our faith, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. And so much of the evangelical message is what we've been saved from, which is great. It's, it's a wonderful gospel that we've been saved from our sin through Jesus Christ. But why has he saved us? And maybe why has he preserved us in the earth that we're called to live here on the earth among people as ambassadors of Christ? What are we saved for? Here's a passage in Titus that I want you to look at. Titus chapter two, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to remove ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, now, today, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see that? That God has made a way, God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Salvation is available to all people who want to be made holy, that they be in the presence of God forever. And those who are called by his name, who believe on his son, Jesus Christ, are actually now training us. This gospel not only saved us, but training us to do something today as we wait for his second coming, training us today in godliness, in holiness. And look specifically at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Like the coal on Isaiah's lips given to him. He redeemed him from his guilt and atonement and made atonement from all lawlessness so he can belong in the presence of God. But that's not the only part of the message. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's a saving for a reason. And the reason is to purify a people. 
not just an individual, but a community of people in his son. And this community that's being purified are zealous for good works. Their good works flow from their holiness. Remember what, what happens to Isaiah next, back in Isaiah 6? God calls out and says, whom shall we send? Whom shall we send as a messenger, as a worker who's zealous for good works of the kingdom? And what does Isaiah say? Send me. So here's the picture. Isaiah, unholy, brought before a holy God who's made holy by, by the work of God coming to him. Now in his holiness says, send me for good works. Send me to be a messenger because I've been made holy. This is our call, not only from lawlessness, but for himself, for these good works. See, we're called as Christians, as children of God, to be salt of the earth, light in the world. That God's presence is like living water and that from our lives will flow living water, streams of living water in dead places. And I know in today's culture, we're like, what, what do I do? I mean, there seems like there's so much unrest, there's so much need. What should I do? The first thing is this, pursue holiness. Because only in your holiness can your life be salty. Salt is both flavorful and a preservative. It preserves things from decaying and going to death. Pursue holiness to be a light so that you can be like a city set apart on a hill that can show the way. Pursue holiness that from your life, streams of living water can flow into desert places that people can be refreshed and come to know the Lord. Without the pursuit of holiness, we lose our flavor of saltiness. We lose our light and our streams dry up. And our good works, may I say, are simply in vain. We're saved from our lawlessness to be a people being purified. And as we pursue holiness, are zealous for good works. This is why we're called to walk in this way. Be holy because God is holy. Listen to this letter that a pastor wrote to a church. This is just the pastor's words of this pursuit that God has called all of his children, the people that he has forgiven of how to live. Since you are God's people, this pastor writes, it is not right that any matters of sexual morality or indecency or greed should even be mentioned among you, nor is it fitting for you to use language which is obscene, profane, or vulgar. Rather, you should give thanks to God. You may be sure that no one who is immoral, indecent, or greedy, for greed is from an idolatry, will ever receive a share in the kingdom of Christ and God. Do not let anyone deceive you with foolish words. It is because of these very things that God's anger will come upon those who do not obey him. So have nothing at all to do with such people. You yourselves used to be in the darkness, but since you have become the Lord's people, you are in the light. So you must live as people who belong to the light. 
For it is the light that brings a rich harvest of every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. It is because you belong to the light and are pursuing holiness that a fruit comes from your life of goodness, rightness, and truth. This is how we are to walk as children. This letter was penned by the apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus of how we are to walk in the way of holiness because we've been saved from something, but we've been saved for something, really someone to be zealous for our good works that flows from our holiness. Now, John Stott puts it so well when he says, holiness is not a condition into which we drift. It must be pursued. We are pursuing the very thing that that God has called us to be, has purchased us to be. And sin so easily entangles, doesn't it? And so we are called to pursue. Those who know what holiness is and need their holiness are called to pursue this mark of holiness. And in order to do that, I think there are three things that I would give you to pursue holiness. Is to be around God's spirit, to listen to God's spirit, to surrender to God's word, and be connected to God's people. Psalm 139 tells us, search me and know me, God. If there's anything inside me that's a grievous way to you, that's wrong and errors, like bring it up, like surface it so that I can deal with it because I don't want anything hidden in my life. And man, sin loves to hide, doesn't it? And so we need God's spirit to search us and remind us of the work that God wants to do in us. The second is surrendering to God's word that we come to God's word regularly and open it up and are reminded of what God's call is on our life. They say, oh yeah, that's how he's called me to be a husband, a wife, called in my singleness, called in my marriage, called with my community, and I want to be these things. And so God's word directs us in our path. The last one is being around God's people. James chapter five tells us that Some of us will will end up being wayward and walking away from the Lord, walking in sin. And that brothers and sisters should go reconcile that person back to God, help them see and expose their sin so that they can be made right with God. And you're gonna preserve, save their soul in doing that. All three of these ways are a way to investigate ourselves so that what is wrong or errors or bent in us can be addressed and made right with God's help. The last is this, you need God's help. I can't strive after holiness on my own strength. I couldn't save myself. I can't sanctify myself. It is in partnership with God's work. And I know if you're like me, you struggle in so many areas. The the flesh is, is hard to kill, isn't it? Even the apostle Paul tells us he's doing things he doesn't want to do. The things he wants to do, he's not doing. I just want to encourage you, friend. If you're in the middle of a struggle right now, there's a sin that you're struggling with. The struggling with that sin is not failure the struggling with that sin is a sign that you're fighting, that you're contending, that you're striving. You're doing what Paul said. I fought the good fight. I'm running the race. It's when we become complacent in our sin and we no longer care about holiness and our pursuit ceases, that sin has won. The struggle is a sign of success that you are pursuing the life this mark of holiness that God has called you to. And it is by his grace that he will bring you to the place of his presence, perfect, complete. He who began a good work in you 
will be faithful to bring it to completion. And so temptations come, trials come, the struggle is real, but God's grace will hold us fast. Let's pray. Lord, we, we wanna see you as a holy God. We wanna see ourselves as Isaiah has, has seen himself in your presence, completely undone, exposed in all of his sin. And then we thank you, God, for your grace that has come from your throne to address our guilt and make atonement, to allow us to be in the presence of the living God. Lord, help us to regain and recapture an enthusiasm for the upward call of God on our life, to conform our life to the image of Jesus, of holiness. And as we pursue holiness, Lord, may we be salt in the earth. May we be a light in the earth. May streams of living water flow from us in dry and desolate places. And Lord Jesus, we ask, as we struggle in our sins, to continue to help us find victories and to hold us fast. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, by faith we ask this. Amen.